little Steelers wheel. Start off this podcast. Steelers wheel. Steelers wheel. One, Stuck in the one middle hit with wonder. you. That's right. You know, I always it's kind of weird. That song, it almost sounds like it's Bob Dylan, but it's singing. But, it does uh, sound like Bob Dylan. I actually thought it was Bob Dylan. That's funny you say that. And then but, Steelers you know, wheel. I'm such a weirdo. I've actually pulled up other Steeler, Steelers wheel songs. And none of the other ones sound like Bob Dylan or even sound remotely <laughs> like this song. Maybe so, that's why that was their one hit. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah. Well, we picked that song because uh, we're talking to a couple reporters today, Devaney. We've got uh, Natalie Allison with the Tennessean and It's good Eric to get Shelzig. their perspective. You know, Shelzig, yeah. you know, as you know, writes the Tennessee Journal and um, Natalie writes for the Tennessean. And she is a, you know, she's a... I don't know what you call it. Reporter. Yeah. Reporter. Yeah. Shelzik has a little bit more liberty because he, he opines some in his in the journal. Well, some would argue that reporters are opining these days too, but uh Well that's true. <laughs> that that's Natalie's true. actually she's a she's a she's a straight shooter. Um we got to talk to them today a little bit about their take on session and where they see uh the political landscape going over the next year. We had a good conversation with them. And uh, that's coming up in a little bit. Yeah, liked it. Uh, a few issues going on this week. Yeah, such uh, as? Well, I tell you, I, we were talking about this earlier. You can't um, – and we were also doing another – we were doing an interview with somebody, and this came up. And you can't go anywhere in this town without seeing Help Wanted signs and, right. and doors. And that's going on where I'm in Chattanooga, where I live, and I was in Knoxville this week. I saw it everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that you can blame it on necessarily just the the pandemic. You can blame it on some of the um, the outlying effects of the policies of the pandemic, I believe. Yeah. But what are you seeing out there? Well, I think the governor kind of addressed one of those policies this week by saying no more to uh, federal the $300 a week and, and federal unemployment benefits. uh to just try to start getting people back to work. You know, a lot of folks are, um, you know, we had a conversation with a uh, reporter friend uh, just this week, and, you know, his his brother uh, is about to go to school. And instead of getting a job before that time, he's just staying on unemployment because he's getting more money that way. Um, so the idea that, you know, unemployment is, is a better financial resource than actually working is actually problematic. So the governor, I think, is taking initiatives as his other states uh, to address that. It seems to me to be the right way to go. Yeah, and you know, I think that the overall national recovery from the pandemic is going to be really slow. Um, <laughs> if there is a recovery, since we're printing so much money, right? Um, you know, it's going to be slow if, if we do, if they don't resolve this. Well, we saw it with the jobs report on Friday. You know, one of the biggest miss in decades. They were. The market was expecting a million. We only added about two hundred fifty thousand. Um, you know, it seems to me that a the idea that the economic recovery is a foregone conclusion is obviously not right. You have to have the right policies to get to get the economic recovery in, and we you know we've got to see where where this ends up in Washington. But right now, we're seemingly taking a little bit of a, a speed bump on our recovery. Uh, it may not be guaranteed. Um, so we need to we need to keep our eye on it. It looks like. Yeah, for sure. Um, and maybe states are leading the way over over the federal government, and that's what we're seeing with these states kind of pushing well, I mean, back I, on unemployment. I think they be, you know, if you saw Joe Biden, uh, the President Biden, he he initially did kind of dismiss this whole thing, but then yeah. he's come back and yeah. sort of admitted or acknowledged that there is there is an issue here. He definitely walked it back. That's that's well said. He did. Yeah. 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 Walked it back is probably the way to say it. He he because he he got pretty far out there to say it had nothing to do with it. And, right, and like any reasonable flat person, out said no. <laughs> yes, I mean any reasonable person could see that that it has to have an effect. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, well, well, we'll see what happens. Obviously, there's there's a lot of things looking up ahead. Um, but the Oakland A's still playing baseball. They're still playing baseball. Actually, one of my favorite baseball movies, Moneyball. Um, oh, still yeah. great movie. Um, but, uh, you know, there's talk of them leaving Oakland, possibly coming to Nashville. 
What do you think? Well, just following all the other Californians moving to Nashville <laughs> and Tennessee. Uh, yeah, why not? They need a, they need a baseball team. That we just. I mean, I know North California is different, South California, all that. But. All we need is Governor Lee to, you know, make a video, put it on social media, and we'll just, you know, like the icy video that we had, you know, when we were there in 2019, just continuing to to own California libs, I guess, for lack of a better word. <laughs> I wonder if Raleigh Fingers will come with them. Maybe, you maybe. Know, the dude with the handlebar mustache um, in the 70s. You know, there seem to be some hurdles. I think the Braves owner and the Cardinals owner and the Reds owners might have some some say on whether or not a team comes to Nashville. But uh, this, this is a hot market. There's a lot of opportunity here. I think a baseball team could succeed here, for sure. Well, I, I mean, there's so – I mean, you know, Obviously, the population is growing, and you have so many companies that are, are moving here in the area. It's just my son I, caught I feel a like the market's really good. My son caught a home run ball last night at the Sounds game. So count count the Walker family in on Major League Baseball in Nashville. But um, you know, there's a long way to go, and uh, there's a lot of good good individuals spending some time trying to raise money and see if we can build a stadium and other things. Maybe we can track the A's. Green and yellow is not a good color combination, though. Um, I kind of like it because it's unique. Mm. So many teams are navy blue and red, and you know, just like there's a there's a uniqueness to it where yeah, you don't want to wear it, but you also recognize it when you see it. The A's uniforms are unique, and I kind of like that about them. That's I remember growing up, you know, watching them in the World Series with the Bash Brothers and uh, you know uh, Dennis Eckersley and just the whole the whole thing. Oh, so they, there's a there's their a tradition. Franchise there. has some really has, yeah. has actually has some good history. Yeah. Um, do you get okay getting here? Gas shortage? You know, are you, are you, do you have, do you have gas? uh, I didn't see it up here as much. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, get a little gas. I have to, before I get back, um, go back to Chattanooga, but I'm seeing it in the East because I was, I traveled a little bit on the East part of the state this week and, um, seeing it there. Yeah. Well, um, Chick-fil-A. I had to fill up. I normally just get regular unleaded. I had to get premium. Well, that gets kind of expensive. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially for your tank. Yeah. It's uh So, yes, that it that is a real thing going on. Yeah. When Chick-fil-A sauce shortage too. I mean, this is Joe Biden's America, it seems like. Gas shortages and, and Chick-fil-A sauce shortages. Uh, pet food is a shortage. <laughs> I, my, my wife told me there's a ketchup shortage, too. I I, I, I don't know. We're, she's, sa- she's saving ketchup packets. So This actually is what happens in communist countries, just, yeah. just so you know. <laughs> well, I don't think we're there yet, <laughs> but uh, certainly some trouble, troubling uh, things. Um, but uh, what do you say we get to the, to the interview? Let's go. Um, coming up next is our interview with Eric Shelzig and Natalie Allison. So here we go. Joining us today on the podcast, Devaney, um, we're with two reporters. In the lonely Cordell Hall building, because I think they're out of session now. They're out of session now. I think we're now. on the seventh floor. We are on the seventh floor. Yeah. Um, we're with Natalie Allison of the Tennessean, the chief government affairs reporter, uh, has been roaming the halls of the Capitol for the last couple of years, Is getting that all my the new scoops. Title now? Well, tell me, do you have a. No, I don't think I have an actual title. <laughs> well, I'll take it, though. Okay. Well, you know, we, we've given you the promotion from, from See readership. See if you can get me a raise, too. I'll, I'll, done. Okay. Done. Let's do that. And we have Eric Shelzig, who is the uh, editor and and chief knowings, goings-on person at the Tennessee Journal. Uh, everybody's must-read on Fridays in Tennessee. Um, what is what is your official title, Eric? I'm the chief of myself, a staff <laughs> of one. The boss is totally unreasonable, and the boss is me. That's right. Good That's read, right. though. Yeah. Um, and so we're here today to kind of do a little little reporter roundtable. Um, we've talked to the governor and to the speaker, and uh, we're talking to political leaders. But we also want to talk to folks who are, um, who are kind of, you know, shaping the discussion in our state. Um, and we can think of two, um, no better two people than you all, who everybody reads every day. So um, thanks for being here, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Happy to be here. So we just wrapped up session. Um, you know, some folks would say uh, it was kind of a, an odd session again because of, of COVID and just kind of the, the there's still a, like not a, a not a normal cadence to it. But uh, Natalie, what are your takeaways from from this past session? I mean, it, it was odd, but it wasn't as odd as the two before it. So this was my third session. Um, the first one in 2019 was when Glenn Cassidy became speaker and there was all sorts of, of really bizarre stuff going on. 
during that session. And then as we all know, as soon as it ended, um, as soon as session ended, it, it really ended for him as well. Right. Um, and so the whole summer was sort of spent reporting on that. And then last year was odd because they, they ran home in mid-March and then came back multiple times over the course of the year. So this year seemed um, a little bit more normal. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was n- no one ever shut down to go home for COVID and, you know, uh, people quarantined, but there wasn't any kind of right. major shutdown. So it felt pretty normal. David Bird was the only one that was out for all session, right? Yeah, David Bird did not make a day. Yeah. Um, you know, Mike Carter was also uh, right. sick with cancer. Yeah. Um, and, and then there was a couple other members who decided not to come for weeks on end, but, uh, you know, it didn't really affect the rest of the rest of the legislature. Yeah. Eric, you, you've been you've seen a few more sessions. What are your what are your takeaways? I think Natalie wraps it up. Pretty well. I mean, the the cast of the session was definitely a, a weird one because it was a, a transition session and and you know a lot of shakeup, a lot of turmoil, and then it ended sort of prematurely, which was a, a lot of fun to cover and and, and really interesting. Um, this session was definitely more uh, routine, although the first half of the session, uh, you know, the Senate at least was shut down to lobbyists and, and to the public, uh, and the House also sort of limited attendance from from, you know, outsiders. And it, it definitely had a weirder sort of, you know, feel that people were working in isolation and there wasn't a lot of feedback on legislation. Bills were advancing that might not have otherwise had lobbyists been here to bend lawmakers' ears. Um, so the first half was definitely, uh, you know, much more like last year. And then the second half was much more like it usually is with, with the hallways full and people sort of agitating and, and the bills getting killed and things getting changed. And so, yeah, it was it was more of a hybrid this year. And, and the good news from sort of observer standpoint is that the only day that session went beyond sort of 7.30 p.m. was the last day uh, when they went till about 9. <laughs> but, you know, last summer we were here till 3 in the morning and there was, you know, all kinds of chaos and back and forth. And, and this session was much more measured and uh, sort of calm and reasonable, really, because what good really is going to happen after 10 p.m. on the House floor, the Senate floor, just in general, you know, like they should usually go home and come back and try again the next day. So yeah. what's the uh, yeah. what are the what are, well go ahead no I was just going to say like what what are some of the couple of the highlight uh, legislative uh, issues you covered uh, any fireworks any um, anything interesting yeah, yeah well I guess it depends on who you're asking so if you're going to ask uh, the governor or leadership they're going to be proud of the permitless carry bill that they had tried to pass for a couple of years. Um, and then, of course, the governor is, is very proud that he finally passed some criminal justice reform bills. And um, the truth is that they <laughs> they passed a lot of bills that sort of uh, have, um, you know, the goal of locking up more people at the same time. So it's an interesting trade off there. Um, those are those are some of the big pieces of legislation this year. The permitless carry one was interesting because that has been an, an effort that's a multi-year effort. But by the time it finally passed, it was pretty underwhelming because the die had already been cast. Everyone knew it was going to pass, and, and it did. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's an accomplishment, but not one that we usually see around here where, you know, it's going back and forth between the chambers or it's it's a struggling committee or anything else. It just it just turned on through and passed, and that was that. You know, hum. <laughs> I guess the question is, what do we do next? You know, the there's always one more gun bill waiting in the wings, and, and, and I think uh, – Majority Leader Lamberth already intimated that he wanted to come back and, you know, improve the thing or add to it next year or in the, in the future. So we'll see what that looks like. Was yeah. that a product of kind of the halls being empty? I mean, if there were if there were opponents here in, a, in bigger numbers as, as, yeah, in that's the previous sessions, is that stranger. did that that change the, the dichotomy of how it passed or not? I don't think so. I mean, again, since this has been debated so long, everyone knows where everyone stands, and there is sort of very vocal groups that oppose it that have been here before, and it hasn't changed sort of the trajectory. So, you know, I think that one was just, you know, it was a leftover from last year. It was going to pass last year and didn't because of COVID. And so this year they did it, and it passed, and, you know, it felt kind of like people were going through the motions on it. Uh, maybe that just from a, a neutral observer standpoint, but, you know, they got it done, but it's kind of like, well— Okay, whatever. Next, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. Now, opponents, of course, are still adamantly opposed, and, and supporters are happy. But of course, not all supporters are happy because there's elements of the bill that people feel are unfair. For example, it doesn't apply to people ages 18 and 19 uh, and 20, right? It's like 21 and up. Um, and there's people that say that that's not right. Um, and of course, I'm sure there's people out there who think, 
you know, it's not right that people who are 18, 19, and 20 can't drink either, but that's the law of the land. And right. and uh, I guess we'll see what happens. There is a lawsuit on, to that effect uh, going on. And interestingly, as the Times Free Press reported recently, the bill does not have a severability clause. So if the judge does throw out that element, the whole bill goes <laughs> in the trash and they have to start again. Um, again, that you know, depends on the outcome of that court case. That's but, surprising. They love severability clauses. Well, they should, but yeah. I think they were so confident that they didn't include one, and, you know, overconfidence can, can hurt you sometimes. Wow. So yeah. there's a chance that all this gets thrown out in court. Yeah, that's apparently what, what it looks like, at least wow. according to the reporting by uh, by Andy Scherer, our friend at the Times Free Press. So. We invited him to this roundtable, by the way. He doesn't like to talk to the public. Not, he doesn't. Yeah. He says he's not good at it. I, I find that hard to believe. It is. Yeah. Um, he lets his, likes to have his I, written I think, words do the talking. So, uh, you know, yeah. he's a long-time yeah. He's a good writer. He's old school, you know. I, I don't blame him, frankly. You know, Devaney and I have joked people probably would prefer us not to be talking at all either. So that's well. Uh, I will say this: thing. it is it is always a little intimidating to be uh, interviewing reporters when you're actually not one. So yeah, you know. but you've been one before, Chris. You, uh, you, and, you, yeah, you, well, you started maybe. your career in as another a life many years ago. I'm just yeah. used a reporter, to taking always your calls, <laughs> so uh, and trying not to answer your questions. <laughs> now you get to try to not answer our questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought about t- 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 uh, interviewing, t- making our podcast called t- Turning Tables. So you know, just we're, re- we're interviewing reporters instead of the other way around, just because. Well, you, you know, know, the way it is in Tennessee, though, then there's hardly any reporters anymore. Yeah, I was going to say you're going to run out <laughs> yeah. of reporters. Run out of water. Yeah. <laughs> also, the big difference is we have nothing to hide, unlike you guys. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. There you go. Well, when, I thought Andy wasn't here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So no, no fireworks, no nothing. I, is that because of COVID? I mean, is that because the place was kind of locked down and? Yeah, there's already... always some fireworks. You have. Um, Tim Rudd calling Andy Farmer a disgrace, right? You had... Um, well, that's interesting. You know, people killing other people's bills. It's, there's there's always a little bit of that. But there there was no there was no voucher vote day. There was no, you know, utter mayhem going on. It was, you know, it was yeah, There's, usually, there's usually some overarching sort of bills, like three or four, that everyone's talking about all session. As you guys recall from, from the ESA bill a couple of years back, that was sort of like was every week there was something happening on that. And yeah. it just wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's just hard or to pinpoint. Or the gas tax or the, yeah, the, again, you know, there's, there's years usually. Years ago, the state income tax. That's another issue. But, yeah. yeah. And that was a multi-year issue, too. But, yeah, yeah the, uh, yeah, it was just there wasn't, there wasn't any real just sort of like, you know, you know, obvious top yeah. issue right which is right. which is definitely a weird one you know yeah the medical marijuana stuff got kind of interesting there at the end when it was you know it came out that the house speaker was going to support it and um clearly the the william lambert faction was not for it and it was a question of how is it going to get out of this house committee and it it lost by one and it yeah can we talk about that one real yeah. quick yeah i mean we're it does seem like we are sort of headed that way i mean what's y'all sense i mean i don't I mean, that, it seems like that's a sense of everyone here that it's ine- inevitable, but they're trying to delay at all costs um, until the very last minute when, um, you know, the federal government does sort of allow this to take place and then they can, mm-hmm. then and only then will they begin to do anything. But uh, the concession that they made um, with the oil, it's, it's, it's not much. I mean, we already had uh, low THC oil legal here. It, 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 it's still less than a percent um, which is what they legalize, and you, you have to have one of only eight or nine diseases to actually possess it, and you still have to get it out of state. So it's it's a marginal. It's not uh, they they didn't really pass a medical so you marijuana. So th- you bill. can't buy. Th- I'm sorry for my ignorance on this. You cannot buy that in state. No, you can't. Okay. I mean, if you do, it's it's illegal. But essentially, <clears throat> essentially, what they're saying is. Um, you can possess it if you are one of these sick people. Okay. Got Essentially, it. you can show a policeman your doctor's note saying, I'm allowed to have this when you go out of state to buy it, which was one of the main criticisms people had is that it's not still not really legal to do so. But yeah, um, I feel yeah. like this is a line from Pulp Fiction. What? The whole John Travolta line, you know, of being in Amsterdam. Yeah. But uh, so I'm dating myself. But, yeah, but you it, are. It did, though. It did gain traction that it hasn't had before. Um, you know, we saw I Republicans vote for uh, the, the bill that was, I guess, you know, the furthest one had ever gone in legalizing some kind of medical marijuana program. Um, we saw that that pass the Senate when it, it wasn't supposed to. And it did. And you have Todd Garden hire crying in, in Senate committee, and then Don White flips her vote because of it. And Crying? Wait, wait a minute. Tell me about this. 
I missed this. Yeah, he became very emotional talking about uh, Mike Carter and how it's it's oh, too late to help gotcha. someone like Mike, but he wants other people in that position to be able to have access to something that would give them relief in their last days, and that was apparently compelling enough to to flip a vote that that got it through. Yeah, you guys are politicos, and you've surely seen the polling. I mean, just whether it's among Democrats, Republicans, or Independents, you know, medical marijuana or just marijuana in general is is very popular. So it's an interesting. It's posi- it's a very interesting issue, man. I mean, I I uh, you know you you said I was a reporter. Yeah, I was a reporter for a brief time in Oklahoma. Doesn't from matter. The you're, you're tainted forever. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I try not to bring it up, especially when I bring up I worked at NBC Radio News, man, at a Republican meeting, man, everybody like freaks out. But anyway, it's it's <laughs> it's preview for now. You can run for state party chair, uh, you know. But uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, I was in Oklahoma like a year ago, and it's amazing some of these red states that have passed this and these dispensary these medical dispensaries are like all over the place it was just amazing to me to see like that happen in such a i hate to use blue state red state but i will uh in a solid red state like oklahoma where i think every county went for trump every county so anyway well and trump just... trump kind of changed that calculus too i mean he's not he's not opposed to it in general and in, in legalization i think right I don't know. It was yeah. weird in the beginning of Trump because Sessions was so against. Yeah. And Trump wasn't. And right. And then everyone thought Sessions would do all kinds of things to try to clamp down, and he didn't because presumably the president or the White House stopped him. Or, But, yeah, no, it's it's politically it's a really interesting topic. And, frankly, I mean, it kind of trivializes it a little bit, but it reminds me of the whole debate about wine in supermarkets here in mm. Tennessee that – for years and years, the legislature that was stood, a hot item. Well, the, for years and years, the legislature stood in the way of, of allowing it, and the polling all showed it was popular across the board everywhere. And when it finally passed, and they had all these referendums around the state, there isn't a single one that's lost. All yeah. of it passed, and it's now it's just everyday thing. Well, you know? now to go, you know, alcohol is is just as you know as as popular and. It's legalized in Texas now, and you know Tennessee, Tennessee kept to go. They did, right? Through, so yeah, next I think two it's years. just a couple years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I mean, but once, once it's in, yeah, once it's in, it's not going away. What to does, what is to go alcohol mean exactly? What is that? You can order like a. Um, I hate to be. I mean, I think you can do a couple things. You can order like a batch of cocktails, or you could order probably a single one as long as it's from a, sealed from a bar or restaurant. From a bar or restaurant. So previously you would get takeout, but you couldn't. What about get, a drive-through daiquiri bar? Oh, I don't know about that. This is in New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. So those are cool. No. <laughs> I don't really like coming. daiquiris, but they're cool. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, I, it I was don't just think we something... have dry. Yeah. It, there's no, well, it's a good question, right? Because there's, there's a Taco Bell downtown that serves they alcohol now. But they don't have a drive through. So. But they, yeah. they don't stop you from taking it out. Really? Onto the street, yeah. That's so. interesting. Have you, have you done some in-depth reporting I, on this, I'm not commenting too? on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me either. Um, let's move on to another topic. <laughs> so, but, but, I, but I imagine on, on medical marijuana in general, I mean, it's going to happen, right? It's just a question of when. Yeah. And I think Natalie's right. There's a little bit of a recognition that it's going to happen. So, therefore, if you can just sort of hold it back a little bit, um, then they will and they are. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens next. And if the feds deschedule it, then it's going to get come out of their hands anyway. So what are some of the... Well, there is an interesting side note. Uh-oh. What are some of the forthcoming topics? Well, just, just to go back to that story, oh, yeah. there, yeah. there is there's an undercurrent. This is sort of the bread and butter of the journal insidery stuff. Uh, during the session, there was a big blow-up between uh, Representative Bruce Griffey and the Speaker, uh, Cameron Sexton, over Griffey's sort of agitating and troublemaking and, and, and sort of you know, trying to put his colleagues on the spot on a number, number of issues. So Sexton took the unusual step of getting up on the floor and stripping Griffey of all of his committee assignments, mm-hmm. um, which I can't remember ever happening before. There's, you know, even Jeremy Durham was banished to a separate building, uh, but he was left on his committees, you know. Um, but then after about 10 days or so, there was a kumbaya moment and everybody got back on board and Griffey was restored to his committees, which included the Criminal Justice Committee. And then when the medical marijuana bill came up, uh, and Cameron Sexton had come out publicly to the Tennessean and said he was in favor of it. They had the vote, and next thing you know, it lose, it fails, I think, eight to nine. Yeah. And Griffey was a no vote on that. And if Griffey hadn't been on the committee, Sexton could have come in and broken the tie and passed it out. So no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> no. <laughs> sort of yeah, it was, that was, it was really stunning how, I mean, how um, dramatic that was, that he would, he would take the step of stripping him of his committees, you know, on the House floor, and then, yeah, within less than two weeks. It's yeah. Wow. Best of friends. 
Hmm. That might be exaggerating a little bit, but uh. <laughs> aren't they all best of friends? I don't know. I mean, he's, he, you know, he'll tweet photos of you know. I love working with Bruce Griffey. You know, we're making a great team on this bill. So I don't. I don't they seem to be buds. The social media people did did their work, I guess. <laughs> good, good, cam, good staff. Good comm staff. Never, you know, is, is always always useful in that type of moment. So, saying as a former comm staffer. Yeah, there you go. I want to. <laughs> so you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but um, so redistricting is any scuttlebutt about that that's going on. Well, the numbers aren't here yet, right? So we have the the, the actual state population, the total population of Tennessee, six point nine odd million people. But until we know how many people are in every district or in every neighborhood, there's no way to really say. There's all kinds of speculation about whether they're going to cut up Nashville to make another Republican congressional district or not. And, and you know, I, I think that's going to be a big fight. Um, but there's just no You know, they did that in, um, in Austin, Texas about 10 years ago. They had – Austin was like – had one, if I remember correctly, had one, um, one congressman. And then the Republicans split it up. It's um, it'd be interesting to see if they take that tactic. And if I recall, they're now they were kind of Republican districts. I mean, they were like sixty percent Republican districts, but now they're very purple. Yeah, I just can't imagine any of the the congressmen around this area wanting wanting Nashville in their districts. I have no idea. What a headache. I I have no idea. The the problem is, of course, the congressmen have no say. Right. Right. The legislature does it all. And, and, uh, you know, depending how popular you are, I mean, whether they like Scott Desjardins or Mark Green or, you know, Rose or or whoever. Right. Like, you know, I think generally speaking, the the people are caught want to be cautious about it because they don't want to make a bunch of purple districts. I think. Yeah. You get a long run trends could could come back and bite you. I mean, we'll pro- apparently we were 80,000 uh, 80, people away from actually getting a seat, somewhere around there. And, it's getting, and that's it's pretty closer. close. Yeah. I mean, next time we will have a seat. So, yeah, if trends so you continue. do kind of have to be careful about how you draw it, obviously. And then on the on legislative side, the, 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 the pressure is, is going to be on rural areas, which are losing population. So those districts all have to grow in size, which means they start – butting onto each other which is problematic because republicans don't want to hurt each other and drawing each other together and all that so mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see how they do that and i i, I sense there'll be a decent number of retirements people will run for county mayor and other things and in that way take the pressure off a little bit so yeah for well, example bruce griffey's talking about not running again and that would make it easier to sort of create a bigger district up there because um, you're not going to draw him out right Although they might want to draw him out anyway but well, that area of the state's lost as you know, lost population. Yep. So all they're the going to have to do something West, up rural in the rural east. That. Like that's it's you know, and that's where all the Republicans are. So it's going to be it's going to be tough. Yeah. Well, the solution, at least on the federal level, is very simple. What? Expand the House. There you go. I just th- this whole notion that you have to keep reapportioning 435 seats to me, just you know, just you need to start adding seats. We're we're, we're 300 million people now and counting, and it's you know, it's just. A, why not have a Congress of a thousand people? In my view, well, the but, districts are really big. Yeah, I mean, how can one person represent? Is what the ratio is nine hundred fifty thousand people now for one congressman? When it used to be what five thousand? Yeah, it was very <laughs> when small. it started. Yeah. So you know, anyway. and and it did grow regularly until suddenly it didn't. Right to, ni- and, to the nineteen thirties, right? Yeah. But it's not even a. It was like it's like a it actually a, a federal kind of mandate. It's not a law, or it's not a you know, it's not a constitutional thing. It's the House passed a law, I think, in the 1930s that said we're just going to stick to this apportionment of 435 because I think they were tired of, like, adding desks. But it's like, well, maybe maybe we ought to do that. Well, you heard it here first. Walkers for Congress packing. <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, you know, yeah. I just it, to yeah. me it, it just makes sense. I, I, I heard about it on a podcast, uh, you Kinda know, scares me last bit, year. But... Just adding – I know, mean, do just... we need to keep adding to the Supreme Court too? Like, uh, should... No, I'm against that. <laughs> but, should uh, only nine justices Senate. represent but, uh, the whole country? Well, the U.S. Senate is – I'm also – I mean – all cards on the table. I'm also against the 17th Amendment. Statehood for D.C. I think, I think state legislatures should be appointing senators. I have, I'm, I'm with you. I want to get rid of the 17th Amendment. The, uh, you know, the states, like, don't the, – the whole point of the, the Senate was to have representation with the states, and that went away with the 17th Amendment. I'm, I'm kind of have you met the legislature? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I could argue that there's more accountability at that level because, again, when you talk about, you know, a senator just can't rep- – 
you know, 6.7 million people, how can one senator kind of hear from all of those different voices in an effective way? But, you know, your state senator can call and kind of be an, an, an envoy to that. That's just a much different situation. Anyway, we're on, we're on a tangent there. Yeah. That's a different podcast for like some constitutional scholar yeah. or something. Um, also, changing that is not easy. No, no, it's not. So before I move on from, do you have anything else about the current legislative session? Well, I was going to just ask, you know, what you we talked about a couple subjects that we think might come up again, obviously medical marijuana. Any other kind of issues that didn't get done this cycle that or this this session that you think are going to come back up or are there some key kind of campaign issues heading into kind of an election year next year that that folks are going to continue to kind of kind of hit, bang the drum on here i mean something that i've i've been looking at is is what they're going to do with this whole question of criminal justice reform that has been so important to the governor that the legislature has pushed back on to some degree to water down what i think maybe uh bill lee's team would have done if they could have but next year's an election year um, Billy is not trying to upset the conservatives in the legislature or the base around the state. And so I think there's a lot of questions of will uh, they be able to go back and do some more things they didn't get to this year, tie up some loose ends there, or um, this bill that passed the Senate pretty easily uh, to reduce the life sentence for for murderers that, you know, you had even people like Mike Bell supporting um, I don't I don't know that it will pass the House and I and I think advocates for that bill would like the governor to get behind that. But I don't see that being something he'll do next year in an election year. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it's going to be interesting, uh, given that, you know, it is an election year next year and what the governor uh, decides to do could could be telling. You act like he ha- he's going to have a race. Well, <laughs> I don't see he that. He has to act like he is to keep one from happening. Right. <laughs> he's acting like he has a race. You know, and I guess I guess you're right. If you don't, you will. Yeah, right? I mean, if if he did everything he wanted see, to do, I just don't see who would. When's the last him? time you've heard him talking about Not refugees, either, either Chris? Party. I'm sorry. When's the last time you've heard him talk about refugees? Well, yeah. how quickly did he drop the? <laughs> I only heard him talk leave? about it once, anyway. Well, it was solved when he made the decision, right? So there's no more need to talk about it. it seems like there's a lot of people trying to come to the U.S. right now. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, that's, that's different. Well, and he has been tweeting about that actually. He's he's out there talking oh, about yeah. the uh, the border crisis yesterday. He told you guys on on this yeah. podcast that that yeah. uh, the Biden administration asked him to take wow. some. You listened to our podcast. I did to wow. take some Don't of these. Don't act so surprised, Devaney. This is a very very important podcast. Okay. Got the, it. The, the feds asked uh, Tennessee to take some of these unaccompanied minors, yeah, and they, they right. said no. And yeah. I think that's really interesting, given that he's someone who has said you know that this is something that's very important to him, taking care of people who are fleeing uh, terrible places. And so it, it's really interesting. It's like if um, if there was no concern about a primary, would any of those positions be different? Maybe not. I just don't know who would primary him. I mean, realistically. The best so. thing that could happen to him is for someone to try to run against him and him to blow him out of the water and justify all of it, you know, and basically confirm all of his positions that he's taken, right? It's a mandate, a retro mandate. Yeah, but the fact that people acted like, you know, some of the right-wing Republicans acted like he was a Democrat because he allowed counties to have the authority to have their own COVID uh, restrictions. I mean, he, he's got to be sensitive to that. Which is yeah. actually a conservative position in a way. I mean, local it is. Local, local issues are where you know you make those decisions but um yeah there there's some there are some boo birds out there and i've i've read some kind of humorous not, uh, unintended humorous stories about you know some of some of his covid regulations I, I i don't put much credence in it generally but um you know obviously you have to take everything seriously if you're on the political team for him so oh, yeah, for sure which we kind of are so <laughs> um you know, part of this podcast, too, is not just to be all serious talking about issues. I mean, um, Eric, you've done a lot around you've been around a long time. Like, what are some of your what are some of your favorite stories about covering Tennessee politics over the last 15, 15 years now? Right. Yeah. Just around yeah. 15, yeah. 16, maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's hard to think of specifics when you put me on the spot like this. But uh, <laughs> but it is to look back and think about the different eras and the different characters that have come through and people who have run the show and run for office. And, and, and it's, you know, you, you tend to get stuck thinking at, at whatever current period you're in that this is the way it's always going to be. And then three, four or five years later, everything changes. Um, and, of course, I was here for the big changeover from the Democratic control to the Republican control, which was, was, was a really big one. And it happened really quickly. As, as, as Devaney yeah. remembers, because he was at the helm of the party for a lot of that. 
Um, and, uh, you know, just larger than life characters like uh, Jimmy Nafee or, or John Wilder, uh, you know, who were dominant, not in this building, but in the, in the previous one. Um, and now, uh, given all the changeover that's happened up here in the building, most people don't know who these people are. You know, mm-hmm. they, they sort of, you know, they vaguely know that Nafee was the great bugaboo of, uh, <laughs> of Republicans back back in the day. But but the, the sort of institutional memories are brief. Right. And then, you know, things have a way of repeating and uh, and people think everything's new under the sun and, and it isn't. So we were talking um, we're, we're interviewing uh, Lieutenant Governor McNally for a podcast later. And as we're kind of just looking through the history of it. Wilder was lieutenant governor from 71 to 2017, 1971 to 2017. And you just kind of look at the no, list. 2007. I'm sorry, 2017. That's right, seven. Yeah, yeah. Seven. Was it seven? Then Ramsey. Right? Ramsey. Right. I'm sorry, Ramsey seven. White. That's right, sorry, seven to 17. Um, but uh, that's, so, I think he was lieutenant governor with like eight different governors over his time. And you just kind of just see how much of that uh how much he had influence over what was happening here and just it's amazing to hear you say like people don't even remember him now well that's, you know, that's, most unlike you know yeah. mcnally of course is the big exception because he's been here forever as, right. uh, as he'll tell you and he's got yeah he's many wonderful wonderful stories and his experiences are amazing and uh, but he's the exception, really, because a lot of folks, uh, you know, came with a big, the big wave of Republican but elections. But he has more lights on in his office than uh, John Wilder did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that a metaphor, or is that a, you know, you talk about you the, can act, take it however you want the actual light bulbs? No. no, it's true. Wilder was infamous for having these. Uh, these if I recall, did Wilder lights. just have like this one little lamp, you know, on <laughs> you spotlight? Uh, yeah, you'd walk into this dark room, and this guy had a very quiet voice speaking in the third person, and yeah, he was a very strange man. And of course, Wilder's main objective in, as a politician was really just self-preservation. It was a purely about him remaining speaker. Uh, so he would, you know, it wasn't like he had a big agenda on anything. He just wanted to make sure that no matter what happened, he stayed in that chair. Uh, and he did. I mean, he managed to, even when the Republicans took control of the chamber, he still was elected speaker, much to the chagrin of a lot of Republicans. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was amazing to watch the, the machinations of, of what he would do. And Nafee was a lot different because he was much more of an iron-fisted, you know, he had his ideas and and to push him through, and he, and he did to a large extent until he met his Waterloo at the uh, the income tax. So yeah, um, well, I wanted to back up just a little bit. Yeah, cool. Walker, because uh, yeah. I was going to ask Natalie, and then I'm going to ask Eric. Like, how did how did you? Uh, what's your background, and how did you get into journalism? Well, I'm I decided. Yeah, no, I decided when I was a freshman in high school that I wanted to go into journalism. I thought it would be fun. I thought, you know, well. I'll go into TV or something, and then um, decided, you know, a few years later, I absolutely am not going into TV. But I do really like asking people questions, and I like uh, hearing their stories, and I like um, digging for information. And um, so that's what I did. I started off reporting on a small daily paper in North Carolina, where I'm from. I covered the cops, I covered city government, and then I came here to Nashville four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And what's been your most interesting moment since you've been here? I mean, it's, you know, when I came here, I, I started um, on the breaking news beat at the Tennessean. And doing that, you see a lot of crazy stuff. I covered, you know, a church getting shot up, a Waffle House getting shot up. I, I covered, um, you know, all, just all kinds of crazy things that most people never see. You know, you, you walk up um, to these crime scenes or, you know, these disasters, and it's the absolute worst day of people's lives and so that was really interesting and then pivoting to politics which I love I I really do love this job um as I said when I started covering the legislature it was it was the 2019 session which was the beginning of the the brief reign of Cassida but you know this was a guy who had spent I guess what like a decade working up to becoming speaker after he lost previously and he he was the the king of raising money and he he supported a lot of people and won their loyalty and so it it seemed like to some people maybe um you know what he's built up is strong enough to to withstand anything that he you know it seemed like he was he was trying to rule with an iron fist and so it was stunning to see how quickly all of that can come crumbling down i mean that was that was really an incredible thing to see just knowing how he tried to um, to run things here throughout the the session, and um, and then how quickly it all was taken away from him. Hmm. Hmm. Eric, how'd you start out? I used to know this, but I've gotten old. 
the mythical legend uh no um i uh you know i, I w- it's always I, nice to be started out as the mythical legend i've uh, never taken a journalism class in my life and uh some might say it shows as my my joke but uh <laughs> i i sort of fell into it um you know i i wrote a sort of humor column for my college newspaper where was that at george washington university in dc okay. and Mostly, it just involved, you know, mocking the, the school president, and for no particular reason except that I could, and it was a lot of fun, you know, <laughs> take, taking pot shots at, at a position, people in a position of power. Um, and as it happened, friends of mine had uh, gotten jobs as news clerks at the Washington Post, and I was, you know, I was in grad school at this point, and I asked, you know, is there more jobs to be had? And they said, yeah, we always need people basically to run you know, run copy between desks and into the press room and other things like that. And, and I got this job and sort of fell in love with it. So I was I was in academics. I was get, working on a Ph.D. in political science, uh, mostly for lack of anything else to do and because I was a good student. Uh, and then I sort of worked on the desk there and, and saw how, you know, news would happen one day and would be in the paper the next morning. And it was a sort of great allure of instant gratification of, you know, as opposed to academics, which is like always on a 10 year delay or more. Uh, and so then I branched out and started doing reporting. I ended up doing sports reporting and, and, and covering courts in Florida and and caught on with the AP. And when I got hired full-time, they sent me to West Virginia for uh, to, to go cover. It was supposed to be an outdoor sort of sports beat. Uh, and as it happened, there was a hiring freeze and there was an opening at the state house. And they said, oh, guess what? Now you're the state house reporter. <laughs> and I was took it on with some trepidation. I didn't expect to like it, but it ended up being just like sports, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the house would do something and Senate would do something. We talked to the players afterwards and get the quotes. And and um, Joe Manchin had just been elected governor, was elected governor when I was there, who was a great character and a lot of fun to cover. Um and then I transferred here sort of as a step up and thought it would be a two or three year assignment and uh, ended up sort of you know, really enjoying it and liking it and, and staying. And so I stayed with the AP until uh, 2018, January is when I started with the Tennessee Journal after my predecessor retired. And he had done the job for 20 years and sort of felt like it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And uh, now I do this, which is, uh, you know, real inside baseball stuff and, and looking at stuff that would never appear on the AP wire, uh, a lot of it, uh, just because it's not of general interest but it's of interest to people who roam these hallways and, and people in dc and you know congressional folks and, and others and uh and it's really a great great time for me because you know this is the stuff that political nerds enjoy and i'm one of them so uh yeah it's been it's been a fun a fun ride how yeah. well do you know joe manchin i mean if you were there when he first got elected i, I mean, mean he's in the center of the political universe now he so. is i mean I, yeah, I haven't interacted with him really since i left yeah. but uh but he i mean covering politics in charleston was a lot of fun because it's a small town right. and you know you'd you'd go to the supermarket and run into the Supreme Court justice or you'd, uh, you know, go to the go to the, the red carpet lounge, which is this really seedy bar near the Capitol. And then the governor would walk in <laughs> um, and stuff like that. He, my favorite story of West Virginia was uh, I, I ride motorcycles and I was, you know, sort of friendly with uh, a lawmaker who rode motorcycles. And he says, hey, you know, the governor has a big ride going on this weekend. Do you want to join? And I was like, well, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I figured it'd be 50 people or something going out riding motorcycles. Well, it turned out it was me, the lawmaker, and the governor, and his wife on the back, and uh, state police escorts, and uh, we rode through the state at, at potentially extra legal speeds with, uh, <laughs> and uh, ended up, you know, depositing into some town, and there was like a parade, and like the governor was in the parade on his Harley, like waving at people, and then I was like at the back, I was like, you know what, that's it, I'm, that's the end, of, that's the end of my part of the tour, and I peeled off and headed off into the mountains on my own, but, uh, but uh, yeah, so me, me and Joe Manchin, motorcycle riding buddies. That's from, hilarious. Circa 2004. <laughs> Are you uh, surprised that he's, or not surprised that he's kind of, you know, standing firm on on all of these big kind of major issues that the Democrat Party seems to kind of be pushing him into? It, it's it's fascinating. You know, he's you know he's a creature of his time, right? Where if the Senate wasn't 50-50, and uh, you know he would he would be just another guy, presumably. But now yeah. now he's really just in the thick of things, and he's really embracing it. And uh, and and he loves he loves to be a, a deal maker, right? That's it's always been his thing. And so yeah, he's. Uh, it's, it is amazing to think that he's probably the most powerful senator at this very moment. Now, after the next election, whether Democrats win or lose seats, like that will change, presumably. But right now, <laughs> he's the power broker. So, yeah. and Well, then, of course, the funny thing was moving here uh, in 05, 
uh, and I'd come from Joe Manchin, who's very much a backslapper and, and a good guy. And I mean, he had put the hard sell on me not to. You got to stay in West Virginia. We're going places. I was like, the governor, if I got another job, I got to go. <laughs> uh, but then getting here, and I went to the governor's Christmas party, and it was Governor Bredesen, who's just very understated, you know, quiet. Yeah. You know, and I was like, wow, this is the not the retail politician at all that Joe Manchin. <laughs> it was. is amazing. I, I was like, what? Yeah. I was really taken aback by you know, this yeah. is just a different different world. And, and it turns out he was kind of an anomaly, but. Uh, it was it was interesting to me meeting him. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he's he's a different kind of politician. Yeah, you know, just very quiet, unassuming. Well, I remember you guys. You know, when you guys were at the party and you guys were trying to hit him on various things, and it was hard to do because he's, he wasn't a very political person, right? So well, I really kind of thought we were going to win. We had that guy dressed up like a uh, highway patrol officer in a bear suit. <laughs> I thought that was a winner. It usually but is. It, you, know, you know, costumes are you know <laughs> politics are, are a big thing. Yeah, but it didn't, we didn't win. <laughs> yeah, we got we got beat pretty bad. Yeah, we took like we got like four interns at the RNC in '04 and put them in dolphin costumes and followed John Kerry around his flipper <laughs> the flip John Kerry uh, that one that one was better than ours we had something that was really stupid bear the responsibility uh, had a guy they had they at the point at that time they'd had some kind of scandal in the, in the highway patrol and you know it was just well this was on the heels of the 2002 race where Bredesen uh, ran against um Sunquist. Uh, sorry, right against the Van Hillary, right? For the for the, and, and Van Hillary didn't want to be associated with the Sunquist because that was a better cost. Well, because Sunquist had, of course, promoted the income tax and was kind of toxic to Republicans. So they, the Democrats, had this huge uh, head of Sunquist <laughs> yes. made up. It was like the the big, yeah. you know, one of those you know, I don't know mascot style heads, and they'd show up at GOP events with the Sunquist head. Uh, <laughs> they and, would show up at stuff like because Van Hillary was doing these like campaigning all the time and like he would go to waffle houses at like you know seven o'clock or four o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden the titular head would show That's up right, the know? titular head <laughs> <laughs> and uh that was yeah that was a good idea it was but it was, and then since then several campaigns have tried to catch lightning in a bottle and it just hasn't been the same you know like you know that one was a really good one and you know, I, I hear the head is parked at one of our, uh, you know, friends, uh, political uh, consultant friends' house, you know, so uh, it, wow. might, it might come back out again still at some there. point, you know. Wow. It might not have the same salience, but it's still kind of cool. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's funny. They didn't do that in North Carolina, I don't think, did they? No, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, I don't remember the any any heads like that. But. <laughs> They're not as fun. Yeah. I mean, North Carolina and Tennessee do have some similarities, but... Well, a lot of I differences mean, too. We gave birth to Tennessee. Oh well, you had to go there. Well, <laughs> apparently, you know, we can't make movies in Tennessee, so they have to take the North Carolina state capitol and put the Tennessee flag over it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, no, no real film industry here. So. No, got to work on that. That's okay. They did film the, the the show in Nashville. They filmed at the state capitol up here, and in the Senate chamber, they made that the they made that the city hall. Which was a weird thing, right? Why would you go to the Senate chamber and make that? You know. Well, have you been to city hall? Yeah, so that's pretty <laughs> underwhelming. Yeah. No offense, Nashville. No. Well, guys, thanks for taking the time. Um, you know, we, we want to make sure we're we've got you guys have a press conference to get yeah, to here you have a little bit. To cover here. So, um, we appreciate you guys spending time with us, and we look forward to doing it again. Yeah, I'd like to do it again. Yeah, it was good to talk to you guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, Eric Shelzig and Natalie Allison joining us here on the podcast. That was Natalie and Eric. They've left the room. Devaney and I are still here. They left the room to go do their job. They they did. They went they went to file and I'm sure uh, tweet out wonderful things about our How interview with them. It was. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Um, that was a that was an interesting thing. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's good to talk to the folks who are kind of in the middle of all of this on a day to day basis. They, they there's nobody who talks to more people and, and has the connections to just seeing what's really going on behind the scenes than, than Eric and Natalie, I think. There are a lot of great reporters in the Capitol beat, obviously, but um, and we'll hope to talk to some of the, the other ones later. Yeah, in this session, I mean, they kind of they under kind of underscored what I've been thinking, and, and that is there just weren't a lot of fireworks yeah. in this session. Yeah. I think for a variety of reasons, pandemic and, um, you know, we just people aren't up here. And, That's right. Um, they are now, but or were, but it just wasn't, just not as much fireworks going on. That's but right. Some good things happened. Yeah, they recognize that. Well, and um, you know, to me, takeaway from me is there. Uh, it, it it just looked to me like 
like they're, they're they're already looking to what's ahead politically. Um, there's almost uh, the the a, a, such a a non-eventful session. They're trying to find other things to kind of look to, whether it's the next campaign or even the next next campaign, and mm-hmm. seeing what uh, what potential political outcomes come from that. So, uh, um, but I think all in all, a um, lot, lot of interesting times here in Tennessee. So yeah, and I, I want to talk to them again. Yeah, know, no, I, and it's appropriate. I I, I think we ought to continue to, to have them on just because um, we can support their work. <laughs> Journalism is, uh, you know, needing, well, you know, needing some extra avenues. Up, but, man, when I covered the Oklahoma legislature, we had, like, 25 – I got to still have this picture on my wall, but I had, have, had like, 25-something reporters. Yeah. And now, I mean, I'm not really sure how many reporters are down there. Like, maybe – I don't know. You yeah. know, seven or eight. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, quiet down there. It's uh, it's very interesting what uh, what's going on in the news business. That's right. Well, what's what? Who do we have next, Devaney? Uh, Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally. That's right. I'm I'm looking forward to talking to him. I bet he's got some interesting stories. Yeah, we've we've talked to the he's governor been here since uh, since the seventies. That's right. Yeah, we've talked to the governor, the lieutenant governor, the speaker. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to get his take. Um, I mean, I think we'll be talking to him about some of his background, his stories, but yeah. also can just see, you know, the last legislative session, that kind of thing. That's right. That's right. So we have that to look forward to next week. And uh, we look, we can't wait to, to kind of keep these going. This has been fun. I've enjoyed these podcasts with you. I will say it's a challenging to be an interviewer of reporters. That's right. Because at any moment, they can throw it right back at you. They really can. Um but thankfully, these reporters were nice to us. They yes, may not they be as nice, nice to us, us next time, yeah. but uh, but we'll but we'll be ready for it. Yeah. Um, with that, uh, we thank you for joining us today, and uh, we appreciate you guys listening. And uh, we'll, we'll we'll see you next time. Everyone have a good weekend. Stairs